Welcome to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you discover mental constructs, thought patterns, mindsets, spiritual strongholds that are keeping you bound, tethered to your past, not allowing you to to see what God has in store for you. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your following. It blesses my heart. It humbles me. If you are new to this podcast, if this is your first episode, I hope and pray that you get more than you expect. Today's episode is the last message, the last sermon that I preached in 2021. I hope it blesses you. Well, amen. I don't have a catchy phrase for you guys today. I don't. You know, something like, discover the best version of you in 2022. (laughs) I don't. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? But I don't. I don't. Uh, Because today's word is going to be more, more like a surgical scalpel that is going to cut into your heart and into your marrow and reveal whatever needs to be revealed. So it's more, you've heard me say this over and over. The word that I bring that I believe that God gives me for the church is not celebratory, it's more surgical. And I pray that you would receive today's word. Every Christmas, I have flashbacks and beautiful memories of celebrating Christmas as a child growing up in Mexico. And so I celebrated about what, about 19 or so Christmases in Mexico. And I remember that we weren't a family, we were We believed that we were of faith, but we weren't a Christ-following family. And so I remember that at the beginning of December, the tree would go up. Sometimes there wasn't a tree, but there was always a nativity scene. There was always a nativity scene, and there was always an empty manger. Always. And that manger was empty until December 25th. On December 25th, we would wake up, and we would discover baby Jesus. And there he was in the manger, And we saw baby Jesus and all the gifts, and we knew that it was now time to open the gifts. January 6th would come. Now, January 6th, baby Jesus was still in the manger. January 6th, we would partake of king's bread. How many of you have ever had king's bread? Rosca de Reyes. Now, if you're new to king's bread and you had it, nobody told you that there was a plastic doll inside, okay? (laughs) Originally, there was only one plastic doll inside, But then they found out that people would swallow it because they didn't want to reveal who got it because if you got it, you had to put on a party February 2nd. (laughs) So now there were more options, there were more dolls in there. And so baby Jesus would remain there January 6th all the way through February 2nd. And then after that, there was a little chair and baby Jesus was seated on that chair. And then after that, he disappeared. So baby Jesus or Christmas was just really was just an event. It was just something that happened. Jesus never grew. He was always a baby. We always thought about him as a baby. So faith was just a concept. And salvation, the way I saw it, was not through Christ. It was through good works. That's the way that I saw it. But then as an adult, as I came to know the Lord, I became to understand that baby, that baby in the manger, had become a ransom for the forgiveness of our sins. By enduring excruciating pain, dying on the cross, and being raised by Yahweh, by Adonai, on the third day, according to Scripture. And then we know that everyone who confesses Him as Lord and Savior will be saved and inherit eternal life. 
That's what Christmas is all about. If Christmas is just baby Jesus and the gifts and that's it, then it's just an event. Because Christmas without the crucifixion and the resurrection is just an event. So I want you to think about yourself and I want you to think about your children. Now, two years ago, I shared a message around New Year's and it was called Passing on the Baton. And I talked about relay races. I talked about how in a relay race, you know, you pass on a baton. And if you drop the baton, you what? You lose. You can't pick up the baton and give it to the next runner. You drop the baton and you lose. And so tra they train these runners to run fast, but they focus on the passing on the baton because that's key. It doesn't matter how fast you are if you don't know how to pass on the baton. So it doesn't matter how strong the athlete is, how fast he is, how smart he is. If he stinks at passing on the baton, he stinks overall. Amen. <laughs> okay. We pass on a spiritual baton to our children and to our grandchildren. We've got to pass on that baton. I remember hearing Patrick Lencioni say this. He said, vision leaks. If you work for a company that has a vision and mission statement and core values and you don't know it, that's because vision leaks. One of the local hospitals, medical groups, contacted me and said, Milton, we need you to come and help us change our culture because vision leaks. If we don't repeat the story of Jesus to our children and grandchildren, the vision will leak. I told you this wasn't going to be celebratory. You're either going to hate me or you're going to love me. Thank you. You're either going to hate me or you're going to love me. But I am here not to please man, but to please God. Especially since you won't see me until 12 months later. So <laughs> That's the joke all the time, right, Clyde? That's the joke. Vision leaks. Vision leaks. Foundational scripture for today is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Listen, Israel. The eternal is our true God. He alone. You should love him, your true God, with all of your heart and soul, with every ounce of your strength. Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in the house and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing that you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about the next morning. Do whatever it takes to remember them. Tie a reminder on your hand and bind a reminder on your forehead where you will see it all the time, such as on the doorpost where you cross the threshold or on the city gate. Can, can that be more, more direct? He says, every single minute of the day, every hour, 24-7, 365 days a year, Preach it, teach it, live it, rehearse it, because vision leaks. Vision leaks. We've got to do this over and over. And I'm going to step on some people's toes today, and over and over. And you may say amen, but you need to put your, mo your money where your mouth is. I, don't, don't amen me yet, because it's about to get ugly. Okay? Okay. Your children 
are in a classroom between the ages of five and 18 for 13 years span, the most foundational years, five through 18 years of age, 13 years span, they're in a classroom for 16,000 hours. They're at church for only 750. They're on social media for 15,000 hours between the same ages, five through 18. So let me recap for you a little bit. School, 16,000 hours. Social media, 15,000 hours. Home, uh, church, 750 hours. So then I would ask you, how much quality time do they spend with mom and dad? I just want you to think about it. So when you say amen, because I am focused on teaching the word to my children, but I expose them in a classroom where they're exposed to secularism for 16,000 hours during the most foundational years of their life, but I still say amen, I want you to think, oh my. Oh my. We have got to think about passing on the baton. Who is passing on the baton to our children? I'm just telling you. That, that's just a whole side note. That's not even the sermon. So people ask me, Milton, what should I do in 2022? Oh, but my background is in psychology. I'm a psychologist and an educator, so I'm going to incorporate psychology and pedagogy. You'll hear both. And theology, of course. I'm going to address all of that from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective. People ask, what do I do in 2022? What should my goal be? A bigger house, more finances, more money, start a business, you know, start a side hustle. What do I do? And my answer is get your house in order. Get your house in order. Thank you, sister. Appreciate that. Amen. Get your house in order. Forget about the lofty goals. A loftier goal is to get your house in order. And I'm not talking about your physical home. I'm talking about you. So don't elbow the person next to you and say, hey, he's talking about you. Oh, I'm talking about you. This message is for you. Get your house in order. Well, I'm at church. Yes, but your mind, body, and spirit. Get your house in order. If you remove one of the legs from a three-legged stool, it's going to flop and fall. Get your house in order. You start with you. A house without order is a dysfunctional home. Do you know how many people I see in therapy that come from dysfunctional homes? 90% of them. They don't have to tell me. I know they're coming from dysfunctional homes. Just by the way they talk, by the fears they have, by the anxieties they suffer from, from the depression, all of those things. I know they're coming from dysfunctional homes. When I, when I deal with children who they say have ADHD and ADD and ODD and all these things, I go, no, they don't need medication. They need some love. Amen. They need a functional home. But we want to medicate these kids because it's the easiest thing to do. It's easier to give the kid a pill than to give them a home that loves them. I told you we're going to either love me or hate me. Get your home in order. Dysfunction breeds distorted vision. I didn't share that with the first service. I'll share it with you. Dysfunction breeds distorted vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word perish in Greek, katastrophe means to die, to go astray, or to be tossed around, okay? So listen, a lot of people say perish, they equate that to death. Let's go to the Greek, and even if you go to the Hebrew, from the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it means to be tossed around. 
Also in Greek, katastrophemi is to be tossed around, to die, or to go astray. A home that is dysfunctional, that has no order, goes astray. It dies. It gets tossed around. You start with yourself. Our homes must be ordered under the one true living God. There are people that have a God for everything. But we serve a God who is everything. I want you to understand that. Let me say it again. There are people that have a God for everything, but we serve a God who is everything. The Bible says that he is the almighty one, the El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. enough. God that is more than enough. That's the God that we serve. And we say amen, but, and here's the big but, but we have other gods. No, brother, I don't have statues or symbols or, you know, idols. I I don't have candles and all. No, you don't. But you're so focused on your job, it's become your God. You become so focused on finances and traveling or on sports or hunting or fishing. Or you become so focused on how you look and that that has become your idol. That has become your God. We must not have any rivals when it comes to God. There should be no idolatry in our homes. Do you know what the greatest impediment is in our faith, in our walk with Christ? The greatest impediment, the greatest obstruction, the greatest distraction. Do you know what it is? This is going to freak you out. You ready? Prosperity. What? God doesn't want me to prosper. God wants you to prosper. But there's so much more that God wants from you. There's so much more that God wants for you. I'm not saying that money is bad. What I'm saying, the love for money is bad. I'm saying is prosperity sometimes messes you up. Brother, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. (laughs) I'm blessed. Seriously, tell me about it. How blessed are you? Oh, I'm blessed. I just got a promotion. Seriously. So that's why you're blessed. Yes. I've got a 40% increase on my salary. Wow. And a 40% increase on the hours that I have to put in every week. Oh, okay, so let's stop right there. Did you say that you were blessed or stressed? (laughs) Oh, you're getting more money. Oh, okay, with more money, you know, it just comes more debt. And so what you're saying is you got more money, more hours, less time with your family. Is that what you're saying? So you're saying you're blessed. Can I just say this? Sometimes when we get stuff, we always say, praise the Lord. New job, more hours, praise the Lord. Can I tell you that sometimes, sometimes that is not the Lord? You've heard me say this over and over. That if the devil can't make you bad, the devil will make you busy. If he can't make you bad because you've got a good belief system, you've got good values, he will make you busy. Give you a promotion. 40% more time to put into the work and create dysfunction within the home. I'm telling you, prosperity sometimes is a grace impediment. We've got to get our lives, our homes in order. Again, I'm not talking about your physical house. I'm talking about you, your temple, mind, body, spirit. I break it down into four. If you've ever been in my office, I've I've shared this with you. I break it down into four. I say mindset, heart set, soul set, health set. I'm going to say it again. Mindset, heart set, soul set, health set. The four sets, the four pillars that hold you up. If you remove one, you're going to flop and fall. Got to have all four. At the end of the day, you always ask God, how am I doing? 
On a scale of one to 10, Lord, how am I doing in my, in my heart, my health, my soul, my mind? How am I doing, Lord, on a scale of one to 10? Evaluate, reflect, evaluate, reflect, evaluate, reflect. It's the only way to grow. So Milton, how do I get my house in order? What should it look like? Brother, can you put pyramid number one up there for me, please? You've probably seen this. If you were here two years ago or three years ago, I put this up and I have people all the time say, man, I can remember that pyramid, pyramid one. I want you to look at that. That is, of course, it's empty on purpose. And I want to ask you a question. If you look at the very top, that's the throne. That's the throne of your life when it comes to priorities. That's not Maslow's pyramid or hierarchy of needs. Those of you looking, I said, this is Maslow. No, this is Milton's, okay, pyramid of priorities. That's not Maslow. So I want you to look at it, and I want you to think for a moment, what goes at the very top? I mean, and, and, and you say God, and that's only about 10% of you can say that. It's a, it's a constant struggle, okay? And then we have to think what goes next, what goes next, what goes next, what goes next. Okay, this is what it should look like. The next one, please. Number two, pyramid two. This is what it should look like. God at the top, why? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, take a picture of it. You're gonna want this later. God, the whole message is right here. God at the top. And then what's next? You. What? Milton, that's, that's a little selfish. That's, uh, that's egotistical. That's, that's narcissist. What do you mean you? Uh, if you don't nurture you, focus on you, feed you, grow you, you're not going to be a blessing to the people under you. You're going to be, you won't be an asset, you will be a liability. I'm going to say that again. If you don't put yourself up there on that pyramid, you will not be an asset to your family, you will be a liability. Got to focus on you. Well, Milton, I'm just waiting for the kids to grow up and, and, and go off to college, then I'll focus on me. It'll be too late because your impact is gone. You need to focus on yourself now. You need to take care of your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. You got to take care of yourself. Milton, is there scripture to validate that? There is. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. If I can't love myself, I can't love my neighbor. There's no way. And if I can't love myself, it's because I don't know the love of the Father because God is love. It's that simple. Is it making sense? Okay. God, you, and then the spouse. But that's not what I've been taught. If I ask people, if I give them a blank pyramid in, in a, in a uh, therapeutic session and I give it to them, I say, fill it out. They will put God at the top because it's the right thing to say. And then the women on that second one, women will put, what do you think? Kids. Kids. What do you think men put? Their job themselves. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, no, no. They, 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 they put job. They put their profession because, because we're wired to be uh, uh, providers, okay? We're, we're providers. Moms are nurturers. And so they'll put children, we'll put job. And that's why it's all messed up. Their pyramids are upside down and then God is at the very bottom. Their jobs are at the top, children are at the top, and then moms become soccer moms or uber moms. You know, they're like Ubers, and they're taking, they're taking their kids to soccer, ballet, track, karate, baseball, t-ball uh, with friends, and they feel accomplished because they are connecting with their kids, and that's a big fat lie. Wow. They're not connecting, they're disconnecting because they're stressed out, overworked, and tired. Yeah. There's no talking in the car. There's no, there's no conversation going on. There's no transference of emotions. They're not even looking eye to eye. Oh, but they feel accomplished. And that's why kids are so important. Well, that's not the way it should be, though. That's right. 
If you want to know what, what, how many activities they should have per semester, it's only one activity, by the way. Only one. If you, want to, if you want to raise healthy children in a healthy relationship at home. So, you, spouse, children. Why the spouse next before the children? Well, because you're stuck with that one. <laughs> and you want, to make sure, you want to make sure that you nurture that one because at the end of the day, kids leave, fall in love, get married, start their own families, and it's just the two of you. And if you have no commonality, because if your commonality were the kids and their activities, that's gone. You better create some commonality, otherwise you're in for trouble. That is putting your house in order. Amen? Amen. Putting your house in order. For there to be order in the home, you must be a family under God's authority, and it starts from the top down. When we're called by organizations to go help, as I mentioned, to go help and change culture, we always quote John Maxwell. And like I said, I will quote them if I remember who said it. If I don't remember, then I'll just say, I've always said. <laughs> he says, organizations rise and fall on leadership. Homes rise and fall on leadership. Who is the leader? Dad. Who's the head of the household? Dad. Who's the priest of the household? Dad. That's scripture. That's not me. It's not John Maxwell. That's scripture. It's scripture. Keep in mind, dads, it's crucial that you understand that it starts with you. If it's a single parent home and it's only mom, it's crucial that you understand that it starts with you. Mom, you can't give what you don't have, teach what you don't know, or lead someone to a place that you've never been to before. Can I say that again? Might have been a little too fast. You can't teach what you don't know, give what you don't have, or lead someone to a place that you've never been to before. It starts with you. Change your home. It starts with you. You must be willing to forsake everything and anything that does not come in alignment with God's word. It is a difficult and a very daunting task, but it is instrumental in getting your home in order. The Bible calls children arrows in the hands of a warrior. It says that children are an inheritance of God to us. He goes on to say, children are like, are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with such arrows. It takes a mighty warrior to create or raise up arrows that when they're shot into God's destiny, that they hit the mark every time. But you have to be a mighty warrior. A warrior that is not courageous or is not a warrior that flops all the time will not be able to raise arrows that will hit the target. Children are an inheritance. We've got to safeguard their hearts and their minds. And so I'm oftentimes asked by parents, I see people that are Christian. I see people who are in the process. I see people who are atheists. And all of them ask the same question. But from a secularist perspective, this is what my answer is. They ask the question, how can we raise solid and emotionally intelligent children? Because if, you, if you've been reading, uh, you know, these past 10 years about the difference between EQ and IQ, there's a huge difference. IQ, that's overrated. EQ is not. Emotional intelligence carries so much more weight than intellect. You can be really smart 
and be difficult to deal with and nobody wants to be around you. Emotional intelligence. How can we raise solid and emotionally intelligent children that will thrive in life? That's the question. The answer is very simple. Allow the child to witness mom, allow the child to witness dad unconditionally loving the mother regardless of whatever goes on in the home and allow the child to witness mom unconditionally respecting and honoring dad. That right there will raise emotionally healthy children. Nobody said amen. 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 Okay, good. (laughs) If this were the Spanish service, they would say, Amen, amen, hermano, gloria a Dios. (laughs) (laughs) Properly functioning marriages, according to Paul, the apostle, out of Ephesians 5, says that properly functioning marriages help the world, and I believe it's up there on the screen perhaps, help the world to seek God and his love for them. They help us to relate to God, giving us an image, a metaphor, a picture to look at and glimpse the divine. Good marriages give us a tangible picture of Jesus and his love for the church. Did you hear what I just said, the last part? A good marriage exemplifies, gives us a tangible example of Jesus and his love for the church. A good marriage. It's hard for a child to grow up in a home that, where there is no good marriage and for him to see the relationship or understand the relationship of Jesus and the church. And so if you want to start to put your house in order, start loving one another. I'm going to quote uh, someone that I, that I admire. He's a theologian. His name is Vodi, Vodi Bakum. Vodi Bakum defined love this way. I won't take ownership over this quote. He says, love, and it's up on the screen, love is an act of the will accompanied by an emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Take a picture of it. Think about it. Love is an act of the will accompanied by an emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. A lot of people will say, I just don't feel like loving anymore. You see, I remember when I fell in love, but I've fallen out of love. You see, falling in love is not a biblical concept. Whatever you fall into, you can climb out of. Whatever you fall into, you can climb out of. You fall into love, you can climb out of love. Falling in love is not a biblical concept. It's not. It's a mandate. It's a mandate. It's an act of the will accompanied by an emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. That is what love is. It's not a sentiment. It's not a feeling alone. And the maximum expression of this type of love is Jesus at Calvary crucified on the cross. Especially saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Maximum expression of this type of love. Jesus at Calvary on the cross. And if at Christmas time all we talk about is Jesus the baby and never grew up and never was crucified, then we're getting it all wrong. We need to teach the truth to our children. I want to give you an example of what this definition looks like of love, being an act of the will accompanied by an emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Jesus at Gethsemane. Before being apprehended by the Roman soldiers, Jesus is at Gethsemane. 
It's a difficult time. He's in agony. He's left the disciples to pray and they've fallen asleep. Jesus is there and in Matthew 26, 39, the Bible says that he went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is in agony, all deity, all God, but yet feeling the emotions of man, feeling the pain, ahead of time knowing because what had been prophesied was going to be carried out, he knew he was going to be apprehended. He knew he was going to be martyred. He knew what was going to happen. And he's in agony, but he's saying, God, I don't want to go through this, but I don't want my will to be done, but your will. Love is an act of the will. Amen. Love is an act of the will, accompanied by an emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Luke twenty-two forty-four, still at Gethsemane. This is from Dr. Luke. He's writing this, and I love Dr. Luke because, he, because of uh, the fact that he was a doctor, he writes very descriptively, and I love how, you know, how uh, he, just, he, he just detailed in everything that he writes, and he says, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And you're thinking, a lot of people say, well, Luke was being very descriptive. He was amplifying, you know, the truth. He was adding a little bit of pizzazz to the story. He was making it sound, you know, very uh, impactful. No, no. There is a condition called hemohydrosis in which the capillaries dilate the blood goes into the sweat glands and people sweat blood. And this only happens when people are, they've seen this happen when people are going to the electric chair or lethal injection because of the agony that they're, that they're experiencing beforehand because they know what is about to happen. They know the pain. They start to go through this whole process of hemohydrosis and they start to sweat blood. This is an actual condition. So what am I saying? Jesus was in agony. Jesus was in agony. Love is an act of the will accompanied by what? An emotion. There was an emotion right there. And you might say, you know, we hear guys say all the time, well, I'm, I, I'm, I don't have emotions, you know. I'm just, you know, tough. And the wife says, you need to be more romantic. Come on, show me a little more, more emotion. Well, I just don't have emotions. Oh, but the cowboys lose and they cry. <laughs> There's your emotion. And then the wife looks at him and thinks, you're a lying hypocrite. You're a lying hypocrite because you say you have no emotion. You can't show me tender, loving care. You can't show any of that. Oh, but they, 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 these cowboys, they lose and you're crying. You do have emotions. We all have emotions. Jesus showed us his emotions. And then Jesus says in John 10, 18, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Love is an act of the will accompanied by an emotion that leads to what? Action. On behalf of its object. There we see it, right there. It was an act of the will. Love is an act of the will. Christmas Eve service, Pastor John ended everything by saying, you guys need to love each other. 
You got to forgive. You want to start off the year right? Forgive one another. Love one another. Love is an act of the will. It's not a sentiment. Feelings are fickle, transient, minute, infantile, and embryonic in comparison to the love of God. They're fickle. It's not about an emotion. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But I don't feel like loving her. Love is an act of the will. It's not a feeling. You wake up and you say, I don't feel like it. I may not like you, but I love you. <laughs> Sounds like an oxymoron. Maybe. He never said like them. He said love them. Well, but you don't know. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, love is an act of the will. But you're like, I just, I, I, I've, I've, fallen, I've fallen out of love. Like, I don't have that husband-type love for my wife. Well, but Jesus said then, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Love your wife, not as your wife, but as a sister in Christ. Because that's how people will, you know, that you're my disciples. And the guy says, well, I don't even know if she's saved. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you know, she's the closest to you in proximity. She's your neighbor. Love your neighbors yourself. The guy says, I left the house. She kicked me out. We're not even neighbors. We can't even stand each other. Jesus said, love your enemies. You can't get out of it. You have no justification to hate people. Yes, amen. There's no justification. There is no justification to hate people, to hold a grudge on people. I'm telling you right now, I'm working on a, on a doctoral thesis. My thesis is that there's a relationship between adverse childhood experiences and the onset of adult autoimmune disease. That's what I'm working on. I'm not, I'm not uh, reinventing the wheel. There's a lot out there already. But it's the relationship between, it's a qualitative study, and it's the relationship between trauma, growing up as children, and developing autoimmune disease, you know, a Crohn's, Graves, a vitiligo, a lymphoma, all of that. The Bible says it very clearly. A merry heart is good like medicine, but a bitter heart crushes the bones. Forgive and be healed. Don't expect to be healed if you're holding a grudge. There are three lies or three, three weapons that the enemy uses against us. Deception, temptation, and accusations. And these are the three weapons that he uses to establish a stronghold on our lives. We're talking about putting your house in order. Putting your house, you, in order. He uses deception, temptation, and accusation. And this is how he establishes strongholds in our lives. And what is a stronghold by definition? A spiritual stronghold by definition is a faulty, erroneous thinking pattern that robs you from God's best and subsequently affects your children and future generations. Let me say it again. And I think I might have it up there. A spiritual stronghold is a faulty and erroneous thinking pattern that robs you from God's best and subsequently affects your children and future generations. 
Future generations, yes. I said this in the first service. I really, you know, I love the fact that I have a, I have a 29-year-old son and I have a, a soon-to-be nine-year-old son. He's eight right now. And I love the fact that they're my kids. I have two grandkids that are wonderful, six and four. I love them. But you know what? At the end of the day, I don't only want them to be my children and grandchildren. I want them to be my brothers and sisters in Christ. At the end of the day, that's the goal. To be like, to be able to say what, you know, John said, the apostle. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. That's it. Don't care about Ivy League schools. Don't care about certifications. Don't care about, you know, possessions. What I want to know, what causes greatest joy is to know that they walk in the truth. And I know that I have a lot to do with that. I'm passing all the baton. But if I don't deal with the deception, temptation, and accusations that have formed strongholds in my life, then I am tethered like a dog to a tree, and I can't, it doesn't matter how much I try to run, how fast I try to run, how much power I put into it in my own strength, I'm tethered to a tree. I'm not going anywhere. Until I realize what it is that's holding me back, what the tether is made of, which is a stronghold, and I break free from it. Otherwise, I'm always going to be bound. Here go five sources of strongholds in case you're wondering, what is a stronghold? And let me just tell you that strongholds are invisible, but they're powerful. And they establish themselves in the mind. People's attitudes are simply an outward expression of their inward state of mind. That's all it is. A spiritual stronghold begins... Would you put the definition before that, please? Spiritual stronghold begins with a thought. It's up there. Take a picture of that. It's great. One thought becomes a consideration. A consideration develops into an attitude, which leads to action and repeated over time becomes a habit. And the habit establishes a power base for the enemy to operate from. What, what? <laughs> Take a picture of it so you can study it later. That's what it is. It establishes a power base from which the enemy operates. And it all started with a thought. A thought that is not in alignment with God's word. Okay, now get, let me tell you the five spiritual strongholds that I want to uh, briefly mention. Number one is unconfessed or unrepentant sin. Okay? Remember what Pastor John told us Christmas Eve? He quoted scripture. He said that, that God despises the proud. God despises? Yes. God despises the proud. But he does not despise those, according to scripture, that come to him with a humble and a contrite spirit. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Just like the prodigal son did after he went through hell and high waters because of his own choice, his own decision. He humbled himself. He came before the father. He said, first he says he was in the mud and he said, Father, forgive me for I've sinned against you and against my father. He repented. Second one is occult activity. What is occult activity? The horoscope, the tea leaves, the coffee beans, the reading of the coffee beans, uh, believing in superstitions, going to that uh, sister so-and-so, sister Juana that's on 10th Street to read the tarot cards. Those of you laughing know who I'm talking about. Five dollars and I'll tell you your future. I'll read the crystal ball. That's just ignorance. That's occult activity. It forms a stronghold in your life. Let me see my, my life. Oh, I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to step on some toes, but I won't be here until you know, next year again in 12 months. 
So you won't remember me, won't even remember my name. Those of you who buy lottery tickets, scratch it and see how much you make. I like Mr. T, I want to say, I pity the fool. That's a, that's a stronghold that the government has on poor people. That's so usually what you see is, is, is poor people buying those tickets. It's a stronghold that the, gov- that the enemy has used, has used the government to put a stronghold on people. Maybe today I'll get $100. Maybe I'll hit the jackpot. Maybe I'll become a millionaire. You know what the statistic says that people who, who hit the jackpot ruins their lives? It ruins their lives and they end up worse off than they were. That's a whole nother sermon. Unconfessed and repentant. Lies you have believed about uh, the truth, lies that you've believed to be true about God, you or others. Unforgiveness and hereditary actions. Hereditary actions. So you're saying that attitudes and beliefs are passed down? Absolutely. It's called worldview. I'll talk about that briefly. Worldview. Beliefs and attitudes are passed down genetically? Yes, absolutely. There's studies. There's a genetic predisposition for alcoholism, a genetic predisposition for drug addiction, a genetic predisposition for aggressive attitudes. There's a genetic predisposition. There is. There's studies. were revealed 20 years ago. (laughs) But the scripture says that the sins of the forefathers are carried down for the third and the fourth generation. It was already there. But science had to prove it. It's already there. So genetically, we can pass it. Absolutely. There's two types of inheritance, genetic and environmental. What kids see, what kids see, I, I'm gonna put the, put, would you please put up the tree for me and then I'm gonna start wrapping this up, closing. Um, the tree uh, illustration for me, please. I want you to ask yourself, you know, what is, it, what is your constant battle in your life? I mean, think about it. What is your constant battle in your life? What unhealthy habit or thought pattern has, has limited or is limiting your life right now? Think about it. What is your constant struggle? What is your constant struggle? When we are faced with strongholds, the ones that we just mentioned, the only way that you can break a stronghold is through the word of God. But if you don't know the word of God, I pity the fool. (laughs) I'm serious. The Bible says to be fully clothed in the armor of God Talks about a shield, talks about a helmet, talks about a breastplate, belt, talks about fitted with the gospel of peace, but then it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive part of the armor that we have. The only offensive one, Jesus was in the desert, tempted by the devil. The devil said, turn that stone into bread, eat it, Jesus. Jesus said, it is written. And then he quoted scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, okay? And you're like, oh, I can say that. It is written. No, you gotta know what's written though. You you gotta know what is written. You you can't, this is not, I I mentioned this in the first service. If you're one of those that believes in in the law of attraction (laughs) or manifestation, that's a bunch of hogwash. Manifest it, brother, manifest it. Declare it. It doesn't work that way. Affirmation and declaration without action is the beginning of insanity. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to declare that God is going to provide for all my needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. It's scriptural. Yeah, but you're not working. The Bible also says if you don't work, don't eat. Get off your butt and go work. 
Don't, don't, you're, trying to, you're trying to mix in scripture with new age belief systems. That's all messed up. It doesn't work that way. You've got to know the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. You come with the word of God. So I want you to look at the tree because I'm going way over time. I asked for an extra hour, by the way, but they didn't give it to me. Um, I want you to look at the roots. The roots, what feeds the, you know, the, the, the roots is, is our, our belief system. Our belief system, which is, like I said, inherited either environmentally or genetically. Okay? We hear about, we hear about something over and over and over and over and over. And, and it becomes, it becomes, our, uh, it becomes our, our, our belief system. I'm going to quiz you right now. Watch this. Watch this. This is a great example. Fill in the blank for me, please. Fill in the blank. Curiosity killed. Ignorance is. Knowledge is. God will never give you more than you can. Okay, they're all lies. But you know them by heart. And they're all lies. Curiosity didn't kill the cat. Stupidity killed the cat. (laughs) Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is poverty and subsequently death. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. And the last one, people go to the hospital and there's someone who's dying and they hold their hands and they say, God will never give you more than you can bear. That's not even scriptural. But you think it is. Because you've heard it over. And even, even sometimes, not, not at this church, I know that. But at other places, that's what they'll, say, they, they'll tell you. See, that's, that's your beliefs. What's been repeated over and over and over and over and over and over is this belief system, which eventually become your values, which eventually turns into behavior. It's an outward expression of your inward values leading to consequences, which is the fruit. Milton, you skipped the soil. Exactly. Let me go down to the soil. If you're trying to put your house in order, the soil is your worldview. And what is a worldview? It's the lens through which you see the world. If these glasses are my worldview, my worldview is a biblical worldview. So I look at the world through the lens of the word of God. If I'm a secularist, then I look at the world through the lens of secularism. Okay? Everyone has a worldview. It's the frame of reference through which we see and evaluate the world. What forms our worldview? Everything around us. People, places, books, movies, social media, relationships, conversation. Everything, our soil, influences our worldview. Do you see why I, I, I was so passionate about the whole education thing? About children? 16,000 hours in a classroom for 13 years. That's the soil. And then they come home and they say to you, mom and dad, my teacher said that I can choose, and a little boy goes home and says, my teacher said I can choose to be a girl if I want to. Little girl home goes home, little, little Janet comes home and says, my teacher said I can be Michael if I want to. I want to chop my hair because now I've changed my, my, my identity. And then you say, but, 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 but no, 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 sweetheart. But the Bible says, oh, you don't know. My teacher has a master's degree. They know more than you, mom, more than you, dad. My, my, my teacher is a, is a doctor. They know more than you. You don't know what you're talking about. 13 years, 16,000 hours. That's the worldview. And then it freaks you out. If you're exposing your little girl, I, I, I can say this because I don't come back until next 
what, December. <laughs> if your little girl, if your little girl, you know, I used to tell dads and moms, I'd say, how many of you have little girls? And you say, how many of you call your daughters princesses and then raise your hand? I said, don't do it. Worst mistake. My little Emmy over there in the back, she's the only little girl in our family. She's my granddaughter. I say, you're Tito's princess. Not the world's princess because we don't live in England. You're not royalty, you know. Yes, in God's kingdom, right? We're all children of the king. But people don't know that. You're just to the world. You're just Emmy. But you're my princess. Okay, so if you're subject, if you're allowing your kids to go on social media and watch, like little girls watch stuff like JoJo Seawall, come on. Come on. That's worldview. And then you freak out and you go, she wants to chop her hair and she wants to dress like a boy. Okay, I'm not going to get into that. It's a whole different sermon. Okay. In order for the word of God to be powerful in your lives, to transform your life, it can't just be ink on paper bound in a book. It doesn't matter how fancy your Bible looks. It doesn't matter if it's leather bound or, or, or soft cover, whatever it is. If you don't know it, you just don't know it. It has no power. It's just ink on a piece of paper in a book. You have to allow it to, become, to come alive through the Holy Spirit in your life. And so you have to be able to read it, believe it, act on it, declare it, live it, regurgitate it over and over and over, and it becomes powerful in your life. Here goes, here goes. Four things that I wanna end with, real quick. You say, okay, so how do I change? How do I reorganize my house? How do I put my home in order? Myself, the four R's. The first one is reveal. You ask God. Father, reveal. Reveal. Psalm 139, 23 says, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any iniquity within me. Reveal. Only God can reveal. Reveal. Be careful when somebody comes to you and says, God gave me a word for, for you. God gave me a revelation for you. Uh, <laughs> be a little cautious. Right? Where's, where's my wife over there in the back? Wave. And then over there in the back. She's, she's like, please don't call my name. There, that's where in the back. When I, when, I, uh, when I widowed, uh, when, when, uh, in, it, when I widowed back in 2007, I had at least two or three women who came up to me and said, God, God told me that I was to date you. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. That was, that was not my wife's case, by the way. Uh, that was the other way around. Uh, but I had three. Be careful when people say, God gave me a word for you. Be careful. Okay, uh, number two, Repent. Once God brings you revelation, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, okay, I realize that I have some iniquities. I have some unforgiveness, holding on some grudges. God revealed it to me through, through prayer, uh, through scripture, because he talks to us through scripture. Uh, okay, so now I need to repent. And as I repent, uh, I need to understand that God is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Number two. Number three is renew. Renew. Now, now that I've already repented, now I need to renew my mind. Why? The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, says, uh, don't conform to the ways of the world, the patterns of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and improve God's perfect, pleasing, and good will for your life. Renew after you've repented. Okay? And the last one is resist. Uh, the Bible says in James uh, 4, 7, submit to the Lord, resist the enemy, and he will flee. Okay? How do we resist the enemy? Through Scripture. And so we resist and we say, it is written, it is written. And we quote scripture. We, we, we make scripture part of our lives. It becomes intrinsic and not extrinsic. It becomes intrinsic, it becomes part of us. So submit to the Lord, resist the enemy, and he shall flee. Did y'all, did y'all get anything from today's message? Okay, praise God, praise God, good. Hey, I, I, uh, 
I don't want to self-promote, but I will. Um, search me up if you have any questions. Uh, I'm on all the platforms. Don't, don't, don't throw rocks or anything. I mean, yes, I'm also on TikTok. Uh, but don't, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the cool one yet. But, you know, that's not about being cool. It's about pleasing God. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Let me, let me pray. I hope that today's message, today's episode brought revelation to your heart and to your mind. I, I hope that it challenged you as you are about to start a new year. 2022 is going to be as good as you make it. Keep in mind that circumstances are completely out of our control. We have very little, very little influence over our circumstances, but we have great influence over our response, our reaction to the circumstances, and that will make the difference. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this year. Reflect on a daily basis. Grow yourself. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask Him to put your thoughts to the test and to reveal to you those areas that you need to work on. I know it's going to be a great year. Stay focused. Stay strong. Stay faith-filled. God is good all the time. So, if uh, this podcast has blessed you, would you take a few minutes just to rate it? Give us a five-star rating, please. And leave Leave a comment, leave a positive comment so that other people can find us also on our different platforms. I'm happy to say that we have people downloading uh, our episodes all over the world. Uh, As far as Africa, we have people in Russia. Actually, people on uh, most of the continents have been downloading uh, Recalibrate with Milton. (laughs) It just blesses me. I uh, I never thought it would uh, expand so quickly and to so many places around the world. I can't get on an airplane and travel to the ends of the world to fulfill the great commission that Christ has given us. However, I can speak into this microphone and speak the truth and allow Him to do the rest. May the Holy Spirit help each and every one of you break free from the things that are holding you back. I appreciate all your support and your prayers. (laughs) Love you guys.